You know, when you get two people, you get an atheist and a Christian, and they go and sit on the top of a, a hill. They're in the Blue Mountains, and they sit up on the top of the hill. One looks out and says, wow, isn't evolution amazing? The other looks out and says, wow, isn't God amazing? Which one is foolish in our eyes? <laughs> wow, evolution is amazing. Well, then you, evolution is God then, if that's what you think. Because it just random possibilities coming together don't form that. You know, there's something majestic in a mountain range. There's something majestic in seeing a deer run up the side of a mountain, isn't there? You know, um, and so when we, when we look at things like this, when we look at the world, it, it's everywhere you look. Every like you can just stand here, breathe in some air, and it's the miracle of God. It's invisible; you don't even see it. Yet it's there. We know it's there. And when we breathe it in, we we live. Amen. Who's ever, you know, sat down to a meal and looked at the food and just after they've praised their wife, or the chef, <laughs> gone, God, you're amazing. Look at this beautiful food. And then you taste it and you go, wow, God, you're amazing. Look at all these beautiful taste buds. I think it's three to 5,000 taste buds we have. We can just, it's exciting to eat sometimes. You know, when you go to a, like, if you ever go to series, who's been to series? I know you guys have, and it's a, it's a, it's a Thai restaurant. I always say it's like a circus in the mouth there. Like your mouth is going crazy. You can't hardly speak having such a good time. And so taste is, is incredible, isn't it? To see, to see colours and to see things is, is also another beautiful blessing from God. But it's, and, and that is wisdom to see God in everything. Amen? To see God in the little things. I have this sort of flashed into my mind. Re repentance, true repentance, is alignment with the will of God. It's getting in alignment with God's will for your life and God's will for the church. So that's what true repentance is. So anything that does not fall in line with the will of God is outside of true repentance. And so that's what the, uh, the essence of it is here. And, this, and it says in 1 John 1... Seven, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, if we walk in the light. And it's interesting, any time you see the word if, and I've done sermons, there was a sermon I, uh, I did called If, it's, it's conditional. If you walk in the light, as he is in the light. Because there's a good chance that you won't walk in the light, you know what I mean? If is... if. You know, I, I use this as an example many times in the past. If you say to your child, you, we say if a lot, if you say to your child, if you do that again, you're going to get a smack. If you don't, you won't. You give them, a, you know, a, a choice. And so it's a choice if we walk in the light as he is in the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, so that fellowship becomes a true spiritual fellowship. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So it's by walking in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us of, from all sin. So it's all about turning and walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit in the light of Christ. 
And if it wasn't that, it would be crazy. It, it's the equivalent of anything else in life, if you take anything else. And um, I remember Charles Finney used a, a really uh, good example. He said that if someone's heart is, uh, well, say they're, they're an accountant, for example, and their heart is, was to become an accountant, and they studied and they did everything to become an accountant. But they, then they repented of doing that and decided, I'm going to be a lawyer. And then they changed their direction and everything they did then was in, in an effort to become the lawyer. So by repenting from that, they turn and start to put all their energy into that. Now what I'm afraid of in the church today is people that in that example were, were doing something and they repent of doing that, then they say, I'm going to become a lawyer. And that's all they say. I'm going to become a lawyer. But they don't go and do the study. They don't do anything. And then they walk around the rest of their life saying, I'm a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. But they've never done anything in relation to becoming a lawyer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So when you say, I'm a Christian and I'm sold out to God, and these are words, but are we backing those words up with what's required to be the real genuine article? You can't open a law practice if you aren't a trained lawyer. Is that right, Tess? You can't do it. You can't go and say you're a doctor and open up a practice just because you say you're a doctor. Unless you want to put on the front, quack, incorporate or something. You know, you could open up a doctor's surgery. I'm sure there's plenty out there doing that. But um, the, the point is, though, you can't be a registered doctor unless you've done the study and become a registered doctor. So Christ looks upon it like the, in the same way. We've got to repent of whatever it was, and then we've got to follow in everything that he commands. All of the things he teaches must become part of our life. Amen? And then in doing that, you're aligning yourself with the will of God. We're going to do a sermon on Proverbs of King Solomon. We've done uh, two parts already. The first part was like uh, an introduction. The second part was, I, I didn't really get into it as much as I wanted to. But today I really do want to get into it. So the first part we looked at uh, chapter 1, verse 1, where it spoke of who the author was. Chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, speaks of the purpose of the Proverbs. Chapter 1, verses 5 to 6, is an exhortation to listen and heed to those Proverbs. Verse 7 is was the actual first proverb, um, which was the beginning of wisdom. And we all know what the beginning of wisdom is, is fear. the fear of the Lord. So we all know that one. It's good. We all know the first proverb. We committed it to memory. Verses uh, 8 to 9 was the rewards for listening to the Proverbs. Verses 10 to 19 was this long exhortation about not going along with evil men. Mm. And I related it, if you remember, to not going along with, you know, um, kids that have taken drugs or not going along with the crowd, you know, and doing all the things that the, the world does. So it's not just about going along with these evil men that commit murder. It's about so many other things that we can go along with as well. Now, so we're up to verse 20. Wisdom cries out to men. And verse 20 says, Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. And it's interesting that it's like wisdom is a feminine quality or a feminine article. That wisdom, in a sense, is like being a person here. But we also can...
can see in many respects everything that wisdom contains and everything spoken of uh, in relation to wisdom also can be a representative of Jesus Christ as well. We see all the qualities that's spoken of of the person of wisdom in Jesus Christ. You know, we're, we're called the bride of Christ. Did you know that? The church is the bride of Christ. Does that mean we're all female? No. Um, it's just the nature of the church to the groom. And wisdom, in a sense, even though it can be re referenced here, wisdom calls aloud in the street. She, not it, wisdom is not an it, wisdom is a she, raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out in the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Um, but that doesn't mean, and there's many references we see to Jesus Christ. Who, who can, who's ever seen that in the book of Proverbs when you've read the references? If you haven't, it's great we're doing this study because I'm going to show you some really amazing um, similarities to how they describe wisdom and that the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to look, if you want to question that, and it's good to, please do. Um, what is Jesus called at the beginning of the book of John? The Word. Does that mean he's a bit of ink on a page? No, he is the Word, the spoken Word. It's like um, God speaks and the speaking of that is Jesus Christ. He is that. And the, the, the power that comes from that Word is the Holy Spirit that comes out and does the you know, creating of the universe. So Jesus is referenced as a word. So when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the way, the truth, when he says, I am the truth, we, we, we then find that philosophers can philosophize about what is the truth, what is truth, and all these sorts of things. Well, it's a person. What is wisdom is a person. And it's found in God. All wisdom outside of that wisdom, that particular wisdom in Christ, who is Christ, is not wisdom at all. It's worldly knowledge. And there's plenty of worldly knowledge out there, isn't there? Heaps of worldly knowledge. Um, some of it can be very helpful in standard life situations and stuff. Who's ever got those motivational quotes? And you think, oh, gee, that really helps me today, you know, that little motivational quote. Um, the thing is, is God is the Word. So God gives uh, wisdom of sorts to, you know, not all men, but many men can have different wisdom in different areas. Um, like I'm sure when you uh, are trying to run a business, you don't go to the Bible to find out how to run the business. You have to get the wisdom of men who have run businesses. Do you know what I'm saying? But this is, I'm talking from a different perspective here. This is wisdom of life. And that comes and is only found in Jesus Christ. So wisdom cries out to men. And I wasn't supposed to elaborate there yet because I haven't got through the screen, but uh, 122 to 33, wisdom mocks the foolish. And we're going to talk about that in a second as well. So the knowledge of and wisdom of God is everywhere. It cries out to man to turn to faith in the living God and his holy one. You know, when you get two people, you get an atheist and a Christian, and they go and sit on the top of a, a hill. They're in the Blue Mountains, and they sit up on the top of the hill. One looks out and says, wow, isn't evolution amazing? The other looks out and says, wow, isn't God amazing? Which one is foolish in our eyes? <laughs> wow, evolution is amazing. Well, then you, evolution is God then, if that's what you think. Because it just random possibilities coming together don't form that. You know, there's something majestic 
in a mountain range. There's something majestic in seeing a deer run up the side of a mountain, isn't there? You know, um, and so when we look at things like this, when we look at the world, it's everywhere you look. Every like you can just stand here, breathe in some air, and it's the miracle of God. It's invisible; you don't even see it. Yet it's there. We know it's there. And when we breathe it in, we we live. Amen. Who's ever you know sat down to a meal and looked at the food and just after they've praised their wife? Or the chef, <laughs> gone, God, you're amazing. Look at this beautiful food. And then you taste it and you go, Wow, God, you're amazing. Look at all these beautiful taste buds. I think it's three to five thousand taste buds we have. We can just, it's exciting to eat sometimes. You know, when you go to a, like, if you ever go to series, who's been to series? I know you guys have, and it's a, it's a Thai restaurant. I always say it's like a circus in the mouth there. It's like, your mouth is going crazy. You can't hardly speak having such a good time. And so taste is, is incredible, isn't it? To see, to see colours and to see things is, is also another beautiful blessing from God. But it's, and, and that is wisdom to see God in everything. Amen? To see God in the little things. To see God in situations when they're not going your way. When life has turned the wrong direction for you and you're thinking, wow, what is going on here? See it. Just think to yourself, God's teaching me something in this. What is he trying to teach me? Why am I going through this? A lot of the time in hindsight you can look back and see what God wanted to teach you in it. But while you're in it, sometimes it gets very cloudy, doesn't it? It's like a big, deep fog settles over you and you can't see it. But if we could just see what it's for, if we could just see what God's trying to do in that situation, we can learn so much and we can grow so much and grow as Christians. And this is where we need to continue to stay in God. We need to walk in the light as He is in the light. We've got to stay in His presence because we can miss it. We can go a whole day sometimes, not think of God or see God in anything. We can really lose touch with who we are in Him. And that's important that we, we don't let that happen. Stay close to Him always. Amen. God has an incredible power to reveal Himself to every man and woman on earth. He offers His wisdom to everyone. He has this ability to receive, uh, to give, sorry, to give uh, a glimpse to Himself. And I believe that every man and woman, um, bar some extreme cases, will have heard of Jesus Christ. Most people. Uh, uh, save some, you know, uh, people in the Amazon, the far reaches of Amazon that have never heard of him. Um, but uh, most people on the planet have heard of Jesus Christ, amen, and have been given a glimpse into him and who he is in some form. And wisdom cries out to men. And what that's saying is the wisdom and the knowledge of God cry out to men. The wisdom and the knowledge of God is calling men to turn away from the way they've lived and turn to Him and receive Him as the truth and the Lord, as their Lord and Saviour and to, to travel forward in life in that knowledge and to stay in that knowledge. Every man and every woman has an opportunity. Amen? You know, it's, it's hard to believe, and this is what most people have trouble with, one man... One single man came onto this planet. He came on and claimed to be the Son of God. A single man, a single person. 
just as big as I am, or probably, it probably would have been around my height, they believe. You're not looking at it, by the way. <laughs> and that single man, is what people can't fathom, that that solo man, in the billions and billions of men and women who have ever been born on earth, that solo man created all things. And everything that is, is because of him. How do you reveal that to people? That's a work of the Spirit. Because that's all I mean. That's what they can't fathom. You know, oh, you worship Jesus. Yes, we worship Jesus. He is worthy. He revealed himself. He was in a physical form. He looked like us. But he was God, eternal, ever-present, self-existent. Death could not conquer him. He rose from the grave by his own power, by the power of the Father, by the power of the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. All three raised him up. And how do you explain that to someone? That single man, that solitary man that they think is just a man, created everything. And that this, this sort of blows my mind sometimes. We're worshipping a, a God who could bring himself down to that smaller person. So that we could see him, so we could identify with him, so we could touch him, so we could reach out to him. So that the woman could reach out and touch the edge of his cloak and be healed of bleeding. And he displayed the powers of God. And there's scriptures that say that in certain regions, everyone brought out their sick on mats and so on. And everyone was healed. There was not one person that wasn't healed. Only God. Only God. It says we're going to do greater things than this. I don't think anyone's done greater things than these. Than what Jesus did. When you read it. That's the equivalent of Jesus, you know, walking into Adelaide and all the sick come out to him and he heals all the sick and there's not one sick person. Adelaide Hospital is empty. Flinders Hospital is empty. All the private hospitals are empty. Doctor surgeries have no patients. Except those that want to cry on the doctor's shoulder. Everyone healed. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? It's hard to fathom the power of our God. But that's who He was. And He wants us to, to understand this and to grasp this. Proverbs 1, 22 to, uh, to 33. We'll just read through that. And it says, How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when a calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and troubles overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without 
fear of harm. That's strong, isn't it? Is that strong? That God calls out men. He calls out. He calls out to them. And they rebuke him and they reject him and they curse him and they mock him and they do all these things. Who's ever met a person that is that vile and repulsive and anti-God that you walk away and you just say to yourself, oh, he's going to find out one day and I wouldn't want to be him. Who's ever felt that way? You know, because there's some people out there, haters of God, haters of the concept of God, haters of religion, anything spoken about, that sort of stuff, they will just give you a mouthful of abuse in a moment's notice. Those people have a terrible place awaiting them. And God will not show mercy. They will call out to him from there. But you know what? No one answers anyone in hell. When they're down in hell, there's no one to rescue them. As Leonard Ravenhill said, there's no court of appeal. Once you're there, you're there. There's no back door. There's no way of escaping. It's not like getting locked in a human prison where there's a little hole that you can climb out of. You can't climb out of hell. Once you're there, you're there, and all you've got to do is, once you're there, you just say to yourself, that's it. This is it. My lot. Forever, ever, and ever. It's a sad state of affairs. So don't be these people that mock. Don't become a fool. I've known Christians that have become fools. Christians that once were glorifying God and then, and then years later, haters of God and haters of the whole concept of religion and turn their backs. I know Christians that have done that. And people say, oh, well, they were never Christian to begin with. Yes, they were. They were Christians. Because they would, if, God, if they had died and they were praising the Lord and living for God and they were doing all that, at that moment, if they had died in God, they would have gone to heaven. I believe that without a shadow of doubt. Or else, what we're teaching is a farce. You can't get someone saved and say you're saved and get them saved and you see the change in their life and you see all that. And then when they turn away from God, oh, well, you were never worse saved in the beginning. Just so it backs up your doctrine that once saved is always saved. I don't believe that. It doesn't say that in the Bible, does it? Who's seen that in the Bible? That if you uh, are in God and then you give up God, that you, well, you can't give up God once you're in God. Who's heard of that? That's why there's scriptures where it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you'll ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. But if you don't remain in me, I'll pick you up, throw you into the fire, and you'll be burned. So what that's saying is remaining is like staying in the marriage, stay in the marriage. It's like saying, this is the same thing, this once saved, always saved. It's like saying, once you get married to a person, you can never divorce them. But do people get divorced? Do people are in love and then they fall out of love? Does that happen? Yeah, it happens all the time. You can be in love with Jesus, love him to bits, and then something happens and you fall out of love. So my call as a minister is to make sure we don't forget our first love. Make sure we stay the course. Make sure, that's what it says, when you're running the race, make sure you make the finish line. Don't pull out before the finish line. There's no crown for those that fall out, fall out of the race or step out of the race. Pull over. Even if you're injured, keep going. I'll come and help you. Carry you over the finish line. But that's what church should be for, is to get people through life safely. Get people through life in Christ, walking in the light, and not 
deviating to the right or to left and stay the course, hold to the course, so that at the end of their life, when they pass away, if someone in the church is with them, they can praise the Lord as they're passing. Praise God. Take him, my Lord. Take her, my Lord. We just, the other day, we were hearing, um, who was telling us about someone who who had passed away? Um, I can't remember who it was now. And that they had, um, they were talking to Jesus. And as the person came in, was, it, was that you, Fiona? Yeah, no, someone came into the, into the room and I was sitting with them and the person was saying... No, no, not what it's saying. And someone was saying, um, uh, oh, this is Jesus, my friend. And the person sitting there going, oh, no, I haven't seen him. Who was saying that? Maybe to you, someone. Oh, I thought that was amazing, you know. They walk in to visit the the parent or whoever it was that was dying. I'm trying to remember. Well, it was who it was. Dad. Maybe it was you. That was you, wasn't that? <laughs> at Hungry Jack's the other day. That's what I'm afraid that was. I was uh, finished the job and I was up in Seaford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I my hands were dirty, and I normally would have driven through the drive-through. And I don't normally eat Hungry Jacks waffles. <laughs> keep HJs quiet. We all do sometimes. Sorry? Keep HJs quiet. Yeah, do you know what? This is a secret sin. It's a secret. But, um, it's my once every three months. It used to be six months. Yeah, anyway. Um, I was going to go through the drive-thru and then I thought, well, I have to wash my hands. And so I, I went in to order inside. And who should I see but Andy and Sharon? Having a five-star meal. You were, but... Sharon was just eating the fries and that's <laughs> Andy ate her cognito as well. That's it. Your own <laughs> yeah. Um Alright, so yeah. Did you want to get up and tell no, us this? Right, so. <laughs> I want to hear about your dad. Can we hear about the dad? Yeah. yeah. Another, 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 another time. Another time. Are you sure? Oh, look, I'm going red already. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to put any more pressure on that. All right. The average person today cares little for God. They hate the idea of being accountable to a holy God and spurn correction. They are what the Bible calls fools. Matthew Henry wrote, three sorts of persons are here called by him. Three persons, uh, or three kinds of people. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? And fools hate knowledge. So simple ones, mockers and fools. Matthew Henry sees that as three different people. Simple ones are sinners who are fond of their simple notions of good and evil, their simple prejudices against the ways of God, and flatter themselves in their weaknesses. And I'm sure many of us have met simple people that, you know, what the world would say, oh, they haven't got a very high IQ, or their intellect is not that great, you know, and they, you know, they're um, working in, you know, uh, industries where, um, you know, they probably don't need to think too hard. Right, and these people normally uh, use foul language continuously, and um, they also praise each other or flatter themselves by talking about things they've done. And I remember I met with uh, uh, some people that you would probably fall into this category, and uh, they were they, they didn't know who I was in the sense of being a Christian, and uh, they started to say, "Oh, yeah, we um, oh, we had a wedding and." Uh, my uh, son, he, he found all this wine and he stole it 
and he got all the wine for free for the wedding and they were like laughing and they were bragging that they had actually committed this theft to supply the wine for a wedding. And I'm like, really? You're bragging to me about that? Like, and I, I could not join in with the, how happy they were in that situation. And these are just simple people. That, and they, they see life like that. If they can get away with something, if they can steal something and get it for free, they're happy. So simple ones. People that don't think too hard about life. They don't, if you start talking about Jesus, that's way beyond their capacity to cope with. But God can reach them too. Amen? Because I reckon I was a simple one. You know, I'm still pretty simple. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've, God's got a hold of me. And so anything that sounds even half remotely smart up here, it's God. That's not me. <laughs> Scorners. Scorners are proud, jovial people that make a jest of everything scoffers at religion that run down everything sacred and serious who's heard uh, when you turn on tv and you see a panel of um of uh, comedians and they start talking about god and jesus and, and they start to mock him and scorn and make fun and they're all laughing and they think it's the biggest joke and i sit there and think wow you guys are in trouble big time big time because you're, you're, you're speaking to the nation like this. And you think it's a joke? And you can't escape death? Man's the only creature on the planet that knows it's going to die and is desperately hard trying to forget that fact. They know they're going to die. They know they're going to have to pass on from this world. They don't know where. And they're hoping in their stupidity... That it's not going to, any, any accountability will come to them. That they won't be held accountable for the things that they say and do. But we know from Scripture that every man will stand before a holy God. Every man will have to give an account of the things done while in the body. Every careless word, every careless thought, everything will have to give an account. This is why Jesus is so important. Jesus is so important. He's got to take first place in your life. And fools are those that hate to be taught and have a rooted dislike to serious godliness. They seriously dislike people that are godly and talk of religious on religious matters. Who's heard of the theory of evolution? Biggest joke ever created by man? Ever thought up? It's not even a creation. It's just a thinking. It's just a thought pattern. Biggest joke. Hang on, uh, uh, I'll, I'll clarify one thing. I believe in microevolution. I don't believe in macroevolution. Now, who's heard of those differences? Yeah. Yeah. Micro is if you breed two dogs that are long haired, you will get long haired dogs. If you breed two short haired dogs, you'll get more than likely short haired dogs. But if you breed long haired dogs and short haired dogs, you'll get a mixture. And what they do is, you know, a lot of our food that we eat now has been, uh, you know, changed over the years, sorry, modified through the way that they grow them and graft them and all that sort of thing. And so, you know, if you see a banana of a few hundred years ago, it doesn't look like the banana we have today. Um, and if we look at most of our, the, the, the food that we have, it's all been modified. Um, and corn from many, many years ago doesn't look like the big yellow cob that we have now. It's been modified. Now that's because of micro 
evolution. But that's because God made it that way. It's not because it miraculously made itself that way. It's because God enabled those things to be done where two, two uh, d uh, creatures of the same kind, like that, they did this with a horse. They got horses, but they got a sh the shortest of all the horses and they bred them. And then they got the shortest of those horses and bred them. And then they got the shortest of those horses. Before they know it, they've got an absolutely useless horse. <laughs> totally small horse. I can't pull a carriage. But really small. Right? Now that's what you can do. That's what you can do. And that's because God has made it possible. But you can't breed a horse with a lion. Can you? You won't get anything except the ripped up horse. Dead horse. That's about all you get if you put those two together. You know? You can't breed a, a piece of corn with a cat. It doesn't work, you know? And, and the crazy thing about macroevolution is that uh, birds were once lizards. Birds, this is what they say, and what they do is they get this uh, a picture and they, they do a thing called morphing. They take a lizard and then they slowly change the lizard a little bit, slowly change it again, change it again, change it again, and they morph itself around until they show a bird. So it's, it's in a pictorial form. You see this transformation of the lizard slowly transforming over billions of years. Who's heard of that? And then the lizard becomes a bird. Has to get rid of the scales, have to, its entire circulatory and um, respiratory system has to change completely. The weight of the bones of the lizards have to go from being weighted bones to hollow bones, which is what birds are, and so on. There's a million changes, more than they can actually show in the morphing diagram. But that's what they actually believe, that a bird was once a lizard. But there is zero evidence, zero evidence. There's nothing in the fossil record. And a fossil really doesn't supply much record anyway, because most of the time when they pull a bone out, it's just a single bone. You know, a lot of these, um, what do you call it, these uh, prehistoric men would just, they would find a piece of a jawbone and a piece and a femur and a few other things scattered and then they'll use plaster of Paris to create this ancient man and say we found the missing link. This is halfway between an ape and a man. But all they found was a few scattered bones. The rest is plaster. And so that's how it's been fed to the world. And that the world has been deceived. They've become fools to a foolish theory. Who's heard of Huxley? Mm -hmm. They nicknamed him Darwin's Bulldog. Has anyone heard of this before? Yeah. You've heard of that? So who's heard of Wilberforce? He's a Christian man who yeah. abolished slavery or was a moving, a very uh, holy man of God, a very good man of God. And Wilberforce, when, they heard, when he heard of the theory of evolution, he challenged it. And Charles Darwin didn't want to take him on, so he trained up Huxley, and he was Hux, um, Darwin's bulldog was to go in there and have this debate. And there's, of course, the atheists think Huxley won the debate, and the Christians think Wilberforce won the debate. And that's always how these debates end: is the Christians always vote for the Christian, and the atheists vote for the atheist. Huxley's son, and his name's Aldous Huxley. He said this: one of the great agnostic evolutionists of the 20th century said. I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. Because really, that's what evolution does. The evolutionary theory gives no meaning. Um, actually, if anything, the evolution theory is dangerous. Outright dangerous. 
because of the evolutionary theory, men saw the Aboriginals of Australia as cavemen, as apes. Up until about 1975, they were classed as flora and fauna on the Australian Constitution. Right? They saw them as apes. They saw them as prehistoric man, ancient man, that we don't want them to mix in our gene pool and mess up because we're advanced men. We're further along on the evolutionary scale. So they've wiped them out. You know, the Japanese, um, they don't think this way now, I hope. But the Japanese, um, because they don't have much hair, they think they, according to the Charles Darwin's theory of evolution, more evolved, more further evolved, because, you know, the Greeks, they're covered in hair. <laughs> they're closer to ancient men. And so they, they haven't got no hair. And so men start to shave, body shave, <laughs> to appear more intelligent. Um, but I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning, consequently assumed it had none, and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. So if you don't want the world to have meaning, if you don't want life to have meaning, if you just want to think that you, you only exist to, as a propagating machine in a gene pool just to pass on your, you know, yourself and then die, if that's all the meaning you have, then really, go for it. Drink, eat, party, have promiscuous sex, just do it all. Because if life has no meaning, if it has zero meaning, why care? Why care? And so that's why you find guys like Christopher Hitchens. Who's heard of Christopher Hitchens? Mm -hmm. He was one of the leading atheist uh, speakers um, of the 20th, and he lived into the 21st century. He's, he's passed away now. He was an alcoholic. He was a womanizer. He was a, a man, he was not a, a man of integrity. And he, he um, aggressively resisted Jesus Christ and he, he debated anybody he could yeah. in public settings against God. And he even said before he died, because he knew Christians all over the world were praying for him because he had cancer. And he said, if someone tells you, this is what he said just when he was coherent and all that, if someone tells you that I've turned to Jesus before I died, don't believe him. Don't believe him because it's not going to be true. And if it if even remotely sounds true, it's because I'm I'm not with it any longer. My my head's in another place. He said so. He, in a sense, he he sealed his condemnation before he went into that place of fear where you you are about to die, and then you really realise, hey, because you're slipping. A lot of people slip in and out of death. You know, people that have had those near death experiences say they're slipping in and they're coming out. They're slipping in. And atheists who have been in those near-death experiences are slipping in and they can feel hell embracing them. They feel the heat of hell. And then when they're coming to, they're crying out for help. Crying out for some... And there's uh, some incredible stories on the internet, on YouTube, that you can listen to. There's one particular one where he was slipping in and out of consciousness and he had one friend that would always talk to him about Jesus Christ. And he was... Um, uh, he was slipping into death and he, he, as he came out, he would be calling out for his friend because he knew his friend knew Jesus and he spent his whole life trying to, teach, uh, to reach him for Jesus Christ but he had always rejected him. But as he's slipping into death and he's feeling the reality of the afterlife and he's feeling the reality of where he's going, he's realising this guy's true. Everything he said is true. I'm a fool and I'm going. And so this, 
his friend, and I think as the story goes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he had to fly, catch a flight to his friend. Because they called out to him, they rang him and said, You're, he's dying and he's calling out for you, he wants you, and he's in and out of consciousness. Anyway, he gets there, and this man is a man of faith, a strong Christian man, and, and this man is slipping in and out of death. He comes to and there's his friend, and he says, Okay, we're going to get down to it now. You're going to give your life to Jesus Christ, and you're going to get healed now in the name of Jesus. And he started to pray for him, and then this man gave his life to Jesus, and he got miraculously healed and came out. And that's why he could tell the story. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit as I'm talking about this. is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, do you remember that, that one, Bill? Because Bill always sends me near-death experience videos. Was, uh, my my um, email account gets full up of videos from Bill. But they're great. I love watching them because they, they instill your faith. And, and this is what I've always said. What, what is being said from the pulpit in relation to Jesus Christ will never mean so much to you as when you're about to enter in. Everything your life has been based on will be tested with fire. And that's why I'm saying anything that, we, that could be out of line, not in alignment with the will of God now, we've got to clean up. We've got to clean up. Amen? Because who feels ready to stand before God right now? If someone said to you, okay, we can just shuttle you forth to the judgment right now. You can stand before God right now. Would you put your hand up and say, let's go? Who's ready? So how do you know? How do you know when we're going to face God? Because it says in the Scriptures, it's destined for a man to die once and after that too, face judgment. How do you know when you're going to have to face God? We could, we could be facing God any time. We don't know. And I'm not putting a curse on anyone. But the fact is no man will live forever on this planet in this current condition. No man is put here for good. No woman is put here for good. We all have to go through that time of death. We all have to enter into death unless the Lord returns. And those living will be, you know, but for 2,000 years, the Lord hasn't returned, has he? And for 2,000 years, Christians have died and gone to be with Jesus. So this is why church is so critical, because it is the most important thing. The most important thing, and I'm not saying... Uh, what I'm saying is, Jesus is the most important thing. And the church that, uh, that brings you closer to Him is, is so critical to our faith. Amen? But listen to this guy, Aldous Huxley. And he said, the philosopher who... And this is right here. Can you see that? The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem of pure metaphysics. Metaphysics like spiritual problems. Uh, he is also concerned to prove there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. Who said that and made it a law? Crowley. Alistair Crowley, didn't he? Do what thou will, or do what thou wilt, will be the whole of the law. Just do what you want. If it feels good, do it. Say that to the wrong person, and you've got trouble. He is also concerned to prove there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaningless was essentially an instrument of liberation. He was liberated knowing he was free from any meaning to life. The liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from a certain political and economic system and the liberation from a certain system of morality. If you have no morals, if someone says you don't have any morals, what does that mean? 
you're not a nice person. You know, you don't think about things very well in the sense of you, you can easily, you know, if a man and a woman are happily married, you can easily just step in and, you know, break that marriage up, sexually speaking, commit adultery, cause, and, and they don't have any conscience in relation to that sort of thing. Liberation we desire was simultaneously liberation from a certain political and economic system and liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to this morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. And that was Aldous Huxley, the son of um, Darwin's bulldog. What you see there is pretty much the thought, the thought pattern of a huge portion of our society. Huge portion of our society. Most men and women today think like that. Most men and women don't want to be accountable to anyone or anything and they just want to be left to do whatever they want to do without restriction. If they want to get drunk, get drunk. If they want to take drugs, they take drugs. If they want to sleep around, they just sleep around. You know, they don't want anything that would come along and say, you know what, God doesn't want you to do that sort of thing. And so that's what we're always confronted with and that's why as Christians, we've We've got to want to be in line with the Holy God. Amen? Amen. Alright. And I think I'm going to finish on that. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Who's been blessed by that? Well, just before you all got a bit too sore in the seat, I'll uh, finish and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. I just thank you for this time and the honour of speaking to these wonderful people. I just pray that your spirit will move in uh, all of our lives today um, and help us to assimilate what was spoken, and I pray that it's been, that this message will be a blessing to them uh, for years to come. And I pray that, Lord, as a church, that we'll just continue to go from strength to strength um, as we grow in you and as we uh, as you just keep leading us and directing us in all the things that we are to do, Lord. And, Lord, help us to align ourselves with your will. Help us to become the people that we're meant to be. May your spirit move in our heart and our life and cause us, Lord, just to, uh, just to go deeper and deeper in you. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.